0: Just tuned to tidings, and I'm Hazel Kahn. It gives me great pleasure today to introduce Dr. Candice Dupree, speaking to us via Zoom from Los Angeles, where she's been in practice for the past thirty years. Dr. Dupree holds a doctorate in clinical psychology from the Union Oriented Pacific Graduate Institute in Santa Barbara. She's co-author with Dr. Dana Dovich of The Healing Choice, which was published by Simon & Schuster. We're not actually going to go into her book, but she may just bring it up in, in the conversation. That's for another time. Dr. Priest is past faculty at NYU. She's a lecturer, and she leads workshops in the USA and in the Netherlands. I was introduced to Candace because I've been intrigued and perplexed by the intense emotion that we've all been witnessing surrounding the anti-abortion politics. And because her understanding of the feminine as seen from a Jungian perspective, I was told would provide our listeners with greater understanding of what I can only describe as this frenzy going around women seeking abortions. So welcome to Tidings and to WPKN, Candice, Dr. Candice Dupree, And thank you for finding time to be with us today.
1: Thank you, Hazel. I'm very happy to be here and to talk about this very huge issue that's hitting
0: all of us right now. Right. And when we spoke before, we had a short conversation before this interview a couple of days ago, you made sure that I understood how men and women relate to the world in different ways. But they also contain profoundly similar elements, if that's the right way to put it. I don't want to talk about Jung. You're the expert. Could you start by explaining to our listeners what is, I think, a pretty basic foundational tenet of of Jungian theory?
1: Well, yes. And Hazel, I'm going to focus it around our subject matter here because in Jungian Mm -hmm. analysis, theories are wide ranged. And in regard to what's pertinent to us today, The most important thing in our life opus is to be a whole individuated human being. When we're born, our embryo fetus person has innate talent, character, personality, and the culture, the society, and parenting gets in the way of that. And so the goal in UV Mm -hmm. analysis is to recognize what's a hindrance, And to one's best ability, remove it so that the true self can come out and grow. And that's what he called the individuation process, the most Mm -hmm. important thing for a human being. And in a woman, there's her natural inner femininity, which is creative, eros, it's connected to inclusion, healing, just the nature of the inner feminine. And also in a woman is the image of the masculine, which Jung called animus. And complementary to that, in a man, there's the natural logos principle and meaning and structure. But in him, he also has an inner feminine, which Mm -hmm. Jung called the anima. Mm -hmm. In some ways, these are related to the yin and yang, of Eastern philosophies, religions, in terms of understanding aspects of self, but Jung took it in a deeper direction for the sake of psychotherapy. And it seems really pertinent to our subject matter here, Hazel, because the frenzy, and I think that's a good word you used, to suppress women, to take away rights, to make them small, to have no power over something as basic as their own bodies. This has been huge because of the reversal of Roe v. Wade. In a positive sense, just to go back a half a step, the inner anima in a man is a huge archetypal representation of life itself, nurturing. And in the inner animus in a, a woman, when it's developed well, gives meaning to a lot of things. You know, that structure, what's going on. And traditionally, we know that the inner feminine in a man can be skewed, the inner anima, and it can be skewed, the inner animus in a woman. For men, that masculine aspect in them can be terrified of the feminine side and therefore getting more bossy, more controlling, making more laws, overturning rights that women already had to keep the feminine down. And in Jungian terms, that would be to some degree, some of these men is because they're afraid of their own inner anima. So their masculine traits become overbearing and controlling. Why would they be scared of their own inner anima? Well, when you look at the development of the patriarchy, which has gone on for thousands of years, To be on top of things, to make decisions, to tell women and children and animals and other men and other tribes or cultures what to do is basically a controlling power trip. Mm -hmm. And that has been propagated as a very good value to have the most power. And sometimes, Hazel, when I look at this on a very basic level that goes way back, we women can bleed without injury every month. What a frightening thing that must have been for primitive men. Because if he's bleeding, he's cut, he has an injury. He may not be okay, it could be infected and he died. And women, of course, can bleed monthly and are fine without understanding science or menstrual cycles or uh, a uterus and how a child is born. That probably was something that was quite scary. And men have testosterone and bigger muscles and more physical power. And therefore, that could manifest into more controlling power. And Hazel, when you think about as you know, civilization moved on, women were traded, girls, daughters, for a mule or a plot of land. The feminine, the girls were something to be given away in order to have more. To this day, and dad walks the bride down the aisle, he gives her away. Mm. And the woman would even take the man's last name. She'd be given away. She didn't even have her name anymore. And now she has the man's name. Mm. In the 60s, and as the second wave went on, more and more women have kept their own name. And in a lot of marriages that I know of, women are not doing the giveaway anymore. Sometimes I've seen brides have mom and dad. Walk them down the aisle.
0: But they're still still giving her away, though.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But they are. They're still giving them away. Mm -hmm. Hazel, things are changing. When the old rules, the old structures, the old controlling boundaries that were around women have gotten challenged, that's upsetting to the culture. The man wears the pants in the family, the man is dominant, the man tells her what to do. I have known people who. Even in my generation, let alone my mothers, who wanted to get a job, but their husbands, quote, unquote, quote, wouldn't let them. They needed, you know, to keep the house, to take care of the kids, to cook, to do all the things that women have been told in their lives. What is the circle around them and that they're permitted to do? And just quite fabulous. Something like 51% of medical students are women now. And of course, women have gone into medicine, they're scientists, and they're much more than the old prescribed a teacher or a nurse.
0: Now we just have to be careful that this doesn't devalue the practice of medicine. Wow. You know, if women are going to be so dominant in it or the, the major force, that is one of the things that happens, right?
1: Yeah, it does. I actually have a relative and I remember maybe 20 some years ago, she said she would never go to a woman doctor. Mm. And just in these last years, she has two women doctors.
0: Mm. What do you want to say about the, the good attributes and the bad attributes of, of the feminine?
1: It's been said by some of Jung's most ardent devotees that when a woman's animus is out of control, over the top, she can become managerial, obstinate, ruthless, domineering. Women who are in union analysis recognize in dreams these masculine characters and figures and can see in their own dreams when they are out of balance. And it can also be true for um, too passive, too weak animus, which would be how the patriarchy would want women to stay, which is, I don't know, whatever you think. To this day, I have some patients I'm working with, who are just getting in touch with some inner strength, and they'll go see any movie their boyfriend wants them to go to because, you know, they are going to pay for it. Well, that would be too passive of an Mm. animus. The goal is to have a healthy inner animus, and that is analogous to a man having a healthy inner anima, and that would be access to feelings, knowledge about what those feelings are, being able to control those feelings. So you don't have the famous stories of men beating their wives and girlfriends and children because they're angry. You know, Those are feelings that are out of control without being balanced, without empathy, without connectivity, without the sense of inclusion in a family. And so it's a man's job. Also, these figures are going to show up in dreams to see, understand, know about his inner anima. Anything someone doesn't know about themselves is their shadow. What inside them do they not know about that's affecting them usually adversely? And that's the shadow aspect of a person. And it's a huge part of Jungian analysis. Do you want
0: to move the the conversation to the anti-abortion frenzy that's going on? How that's expressing the shadow?
1: Yes, yes, certainly. Hazel, when we look at what just happened with Roe v. Wade, the first time in our American history or the Constitution that a right has actually been taken away, mandated by the Supreme Court. As women become empowered in a healthy, animus way, this overturning of Roe v. Wade is a huge example of the patriarchy becoming frightened of the growing, healthy, good inner parts of women's masculine side. And so therefore, through the Supreme Court, we better crush it and bring it down because it might get too big and that's threatening. There's a lot of women who are over-identified with their masculine side. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the traits we were just talking about, managerial, obstinate, ruthless women whose animus is out of control. They join right in with the patriarchy. Think of Phyllis Shafley.
0: Well, it's not just Phyllis Shafley. I mean, right now in, in today's Congress, these women like Marjorie Taylor Green, these women who are just completely joining in. To the, men, to the male point of view. So what is that all about?
1: I think it's over-identification. If someone feels weak, wanting power and control.
0: So Roe v. Wade was 50 years ago, 1973. Those rights were asserted. Now this has been overturned. What is it that's going on?
1: I think it's related to, Hazel, that women are blooming. You know, women are becoming stronger in 50 years there's been a lot of recognition that inside are the traits the creativity the personality that they were born with going back to Yoon's concept of the original higher self in there and that they want to live it out that that's their opus to be as full as they can be it was only 102 years ago women got the vote mm. 1920 in 1973, they have rights to have control over their own bodies. In the big scheme of things, that's a lot of change pretty fast.
0: So, overturning Roe v. Wade is the response to women being just too full of themselves, being too sure of themselves. A lot has been written about white men, especially people who support Trump, feel that they have lost their dominance among the brown and black people. The same is true of women having more power. Something has changed to allow these things to emerge. And at one stage, you describe it as chaos. Chaos was the
1: response or it was the cause. You know, I'm speaking to you, of course, from a psychological point of view, but this includes some sociological understandings, which is not my expertise, but I sure have a lot of thoughts about it.
0: Dr. Candace Dupree is talking about the psychology of the anti-abortion movement. This is Tidings on WPKN Radio.
1: I think it's been fast but incremental. Just to go back to women getting a vote in 1920, during World War II, they're encouraged to go into factories, Rosa the Riveter, etc., you know, go out there, be a good American. And then after the war, there was lots of advertisement, be a real woman be really feminine, go home, keep house and take care of your kids. Mm -hmm. And that was super pushed in the fifties. So now almost 50 years ago, Roe v. Wade, you now have control over your own body. And that was a turning point. And then of course, we also had birth control pills and things that gave women freedom over their sexuality as well. When more women were applying to be in the fire department, Mm-hmm. They upped the rules for how much a candidate had to carry over their shoulder. Yeah. yeah, It had been a smaller number, and it was up to 125 pounds, and then it was up to something above that. So to try to stop the inclusion of women into society, as they were called, from their own true self. So there were laws, human resources, bosses who were all slowly affected by the change that slowly have crept into the culture to try to balance men and women. So yes, the demographic, the politics of grievance, usually of middle or older white men who see that people of color and women are getting too strong and they should step back and be The weak people that, in fact, or inferior people, in fact, that they believe them to be. And because they can't stop
0: women any other way, they'll take to the law. They'll do change these laws, rules for voting and gerrymandering, whether it's women or blacks, but you can't do it on the basis of justice. So you have to do it on the basis of making laws because women are not so easily squashed. It's all really testament to the growing power of women because more and more things are being done to try and stop them at the same time as women are also rising up. Do do you want to talk a little bit about how women have responded?
1: Yes, yes, yes. We, of course, know the terminology of underground railroad in the 1860s, 70s, 80s, 90s to get enslaved people free. There are underground railroads being set up now by women and women's groups to get pregnant women wanting an abortion out of a state to a state where it's legal. So they have power over their own body and choice as to whether or not they want to have a fourth kid or any kid at all. And those underground railroads are not only transporting, but to help pay for the medical health services that women need also more and more women are choosing sterilization that is a empowering choice but it could also have sad aspect to it mm-hmm. and uh, on the internet there have been period trackers where women could go in and just put you know the days of their cycle and in between to stay on top of it some of the period trackers would include if they had cramps that time or not it was fearful that anti-abortion people would hack into the period trackers, notice if a woman's period had stopped, and then track her down because, in a case like Texas, they could get $10,000 for turning her in. Talk about power and control and
0: greed. That's part of the frenzy. and They're doing it for the money, but they also track these women. It feels like a hunt to me.
1: It is. And you know that old saying, which is women should be kept barefoot and pregnant? Yeah. A way to control a woman is keep her barefoot, can't go out there, and pregnant. Has to stay in the house and only be a nurturer. And what you're saying about track them down and hunt them is to keep them down.
0: To keep them enslaved. I don't know if I can use that word in this, in this context. But to keep them behind bars, behind the front door of the house. Exactly. Now, that's always gone on, and it's coming back again in the guise of this anti-abortion stuff. What is this, what's called FOF, the fear of the feminine? Mm-hmm. What? What is it that that is so frightening about women? Is there something more than just this idea that they have power over you? Is there something more intrinsic than that?
1: Hazel, so there's a lot of angles on this, and, you know, there's the huge cultural one that goes back thousands of years and then there's a more immediate one Mm. Uh, individual man his own anima could be scary and then culturally wanting to be on top of other men and the big winner to have to fight other men as well and then you add to it which I think is a huge thing it must have been absolutely quote-unquote mind-blowing for men to witness women bleeding every month, and they're fine. So on an archetypal level, that would be scary. And on personal levels, if their own anima is not balanced, that would be scary. And Hazel, it comes to mind right now, uh, one of the men that Dr. Dovich and I interviewed for our book that we wrote, he suggested that he thought one of the reasons there is a big anti-abortion movement is that people realize their mother could have ended their lives as a fetus in utero. And anybody who might have suppressed anger or outright anger at a parent, they weren't nurtured enough, not given the school they wanted, um, their grievances because they had to share a bedroom with their big brother who used to punch them out whatever it would be, that they weren't nurtured enough. Mom is bad. Mom can, in fact, what they say, the anti-abortion people, kill a person, and therefore they're bad. And we have to stop it. We have to take away Roe v. Wade.
0: Let's end in a minute. But I would like you to end in a way that, that will tell people who are listening to this program what it all means in terms of Having this understanding of you are doing your inner work, developing your anima, your inner anima, if you're a man and, and so on. How do people do that? And what will happen if they do? Because one of the things that also impressed me before is when you told me that men who don't develop their animus, their, their inner anima, they're, they're functioning at a much lower level often, cognitively. You'd call it a second rate poor thinking because of their fear of the feminine so could could, okay so I'm going to ask the question again and say you know so with all, all that you've told us and all that we've learned about the inner and expressed outer workings of the human psyche what can you tell our listeners in terms of because we all have inner animas and animuses that are not well developed how do we change that
1: Well, of course, being a a psychotherapist and someone who was as a patient for many, many years in therapy, it is the self-evaluation, the willingness to take apart, to feel, and to understand what is imbalanced inside. Often that's shown in different neuroses, whether the neuroses is an obsession over an addiction or an obsession over collecting old newspapers or a neurosis of uh, codependency always being too pleasing or having to have control and freaking out if I don't have control of everything. It's the awareness of an individual to look inside and say, you know what? I don't feel okay. I I don't think I'm, I'm really balanced here. I want to look at that. And in the process, of therapy, and I'm Jungian oriented, but there's other also good approaches to psychotherapy. Dreams are a big one. If there's an image of a Nazi or a mafia person in a dream, a Nazi or somebody from the mafia didn't come over to a man's house or a woman's house and jump in their head in the middle of the night. It's an image in their own psyche. So In therapy, it's to look at how that domineering, scary element is being acted out in an individual's life and Mm -hmm. with awareness, being able to shift it. And when there isn't a good balance, it's things, beliefs, actions are taken in unrelated contexts and to have unrelated or not rich or meaningful connected convictions.
0: That's plenty, plenty to think about. Candice, as I say, we do have to end, and you've suggested, you've given us something to leave this program with and to think about, but people may also want to be in touch with you. Is there some way they can contact you and certainly talk about the book, even though the book is not strictly relevant to what we've been talking about, but that you you co-authored. Could you just give people some final information where they can... Yes. You.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, in a sentence, my co-writer and I are pro-choice, which we don't outright say in our book, The Healing Choice, because many women, many women who are pro-choice and men and who would have an abortion again under similar circumstances still have feelings about it. They still may feel sad, angry, guilty, and they have a right to those feelings. And that's who we wrote the book for initially. People who had, had abortions, talking yes. about having had an abortion. Yeah, that mm-hmm. it's it's okay that you're upset that somebody in 11th grade couldn't tell her mom and dad because they didn't even know she was having sex. You know, but mm-hmm. then the anger might not just be at the boyfriend who left her, but at their parents that they didn't mm-hmm. feel safe. So our book, thehealingchoicebook.com, has more information. My writing partner does have a lot of social media platforms And she's Dana Dovich, D-O-V-I-T-C-H. I I do not have a website, and I do not have social media platforms, although it's possible to get my phone number through information. And I'm Candace Ducuy. And to leave a message at my office, and I would certainly call anybody back who would like to know more about what we've been speaking of here in these minutes together, Hazel, as well as the abortion issue. For an individual who has a lot of feelings and as a little addendum here, a lot of women who were okay with past abortions, either they were from the beginning or they worked through feelings and those issues were the sleeping dog and their history with the crazies going on, trying to stop women and all of this Roe v. Wade being overturned, a lot of feelings are being brought up again. And Mm. some women are needing to talk to us again. I thought I was okay about it, but I'm told I shouldn't be okay. Am I okay? (laughs) It's it's helping settle once again. Yeah.
0: doesn't quite go away. It's never quite resolved, I guess.
1: I think it's possible to say at a certain point, what else is there to explore? Yeah. How, How much more sadness do I feel that I didn't want five kids? You know, and I would do it again. I still didn't. Four was enough. But, you know, that is a sad thing. But I'm fine, you know, whatever a woman's story or a man's story would be.
0: Yeah, so you live with a bit of sadness.
1: Okay. Yeah, there's things we say goodbye to all the time. You graduate from high school, you move away from home, you leave a job, a best friend moves away, a divorce. You might be in a bad marriage and you, you have a divorce and it's for a really good reason, but it's still sad. Losses are part of life.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Candice Dupree it was such a pleasure listening to you and thank you for telling us all these things that most of us probably didn't know at all and i i hope that people will take away something of value from what they heard and maybe get in touch with you if they want to
1: oh thank you for having me hazel and you know our our thoughts and feelings and hopes and Desire is that everybody has the opportunity to breathe, to look at their inside life, if they feel out of balance, to try to see what's holding me back or what's crazy thing I did, I don't need to do anymore, whatever it's about in their lives. So that you have chosen for us to focus on this frenzy around, you know, the anti-abortion crazies. I appreciate and I also think it's bigger than that. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Thank you, Hazel.
0: Thank you, Candace. Dr. Candice Dupuis, thank you very much. Bye-bye, then.
1: Bye. You've
0: been listening to author and jungian oriented psychoanalyst Dr. Candice Dupuis, talking to us from Los Angeles about the psychology of anti-abortion politics and policies. You can find Tidings right here on the second Wednesday of the month at this time at any time at all as a podcast on hazelkahn.com. If you've enjoyed this interview, please consider expressing your enjoyment at the donate button on WPKN.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Hazel Kahn.